Well, good morning and welcome to Great Hills Baptist Church. So delighted to have you come in and join uh, with us today as we worship the Lord. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook, uh, go ahead and push your Facebook uh, share button. That way people will know that you're worshiping the Lord with us. And who knows, uh, you might be an encouragement to other people to come in and join us as well. My name is Danny, uh, Danny Forshee. I serve as the pastor here at Great Hills, I'm also the president of the Danny Forshee Evangelistic Association. And again, just delighted to have you uh, worship God with us today. Last Sunday was really cool as we had our first ever drive-in <laughs> worship service. Uh, it was fantastic. I had a blast. Literally cried when I came on campus as I got to just see people. You know, the church is a beautiful thing. And just to see people serving and coming together and worshiping the Lord, it was, well, it was fantastic. Hey, this is Memorial Day weekend. And I just want to give a shout out to all of you that are serving in our military or have served. God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. Also thinking about those who are in our first responders, uh, all of those uh, wonderful men and women like yourself. Many of you do this and we thank you. We appreciate you You're on the front lines uh, and you protect us. And so happy Memorial Day uh, weekend to, to all of you. All right, in a couple of weeks, uh, it's gonna be a big day for us here at Great Hills, June the 7th. Uh, we're gonna come together and have our first public worship service in the worship center in three months. Can you imagine that? It will have been three months since we've gathered here together at 10,500 Jollyville, and I'm so excited. Can't wait till you uh, are able to come and we can see each other. And I know it's gonna be different, right? Oh goodness, we're gonna have, we have every uh, two pews uh, sectioned off. So we'll do our social distancing, physical distancing. Families, of course, will be able to sit together. We do encourage you. As you come on the campus and you come into the main entrance there, Building C, to wear a mask. And um, we encourage you to wear the mask as you make your way here. Now, once you get in the sanctuary, have a seat and take it off as we worship and praise the Lord. But then as you exit, we'll ask you to wear your mask again. Hey, I know it's crazy. I know these are different days and difficult days, but I just got to tell you, Great Hills, I love you. I praise God for you. I'm telling you, it's been amazing. Uh, the ministries that you have been involved in, the service, the help, the encouragement, and you continue to give your tithes and your offerings so that uh, we're able to do so much as a church family. So thank you. Thank you a million times. Thank you. Also, that day, June the 7th, will be the first Sunday that Jeff Fair and his wife, Lori, and their four kids will be with us. And Jeff and Lori We'll be joining in with uh, Pastor Terry Hurd and leading us in worship. Uh, it's going to be a great day. I can't wait <clears throat> for you to meet this family. And when this COVID-19 is in the past, for you to be able to sit down with them and meet them and talk to them. They're a phenomenal family. So grateful to God uh, for bringing them uh, to us. All right, so today we're in the book of Acts. We're back in Acts. Uh, Church on the Move is the title of our series and Sure enjoyed preaching on Philippians 3 last week and enjoyed the what's after ATX. But oh, those of you that know me, you know my heart is to go uh, book by book, verse by verse through the word of God. I believe this to be God's holy word. And the best possible thing that I can do as a minister of the gospel is to preach this sacred book to you, not at you, but with you. 
And so Acts chapter nine, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. Uh, also on the bottom of your screen, you'll see our text. It's a little more of a lengthy text today. It's verses 19 through 30. And so I invite you to turn uh, to Acts chapter nine, uh, Church on the Move. And the title of the message today, get this, it's called The Making of a Champion. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the making of champions. And what does that look like? What is the process that God takes us through when he wants to create within us a championship spirit, okay? Men and women of God, of faith, what is it that God does? Well, we're gonna take a page out of the life of a man by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who became the greatest Christian who ever lived. Of course, we know him as the Apostle Paul. I love this text. It teaches me so much. It just reminds me of how God is for us and God loves us. God takes us right where we are. He doesn't leave us there, amen, but he begins to shape us and mold us to become the people of God that he wants us to be. Speaking of champions, I just continue to think about Ravi Zacharias, one of the greatest Christian apologists in the history of Christianity. You know, a week ago tomorrow, he passed away on May the 19th. He was 74 years of age had cancer and left this life and went right into the presence of the Lord. And you're talking about a champion, wow. And as I look at Ravi Zacharias's life and I look at the apostle Paul, I see a lot of similarities. You know, Ravi Zacharias, when he was young, he very much did not believe in God. In fact, he came to know Christ in a hospital room after having tried to take his life. Yes, as I think he was 17 years of age, tried to commit suicide, praise the Lord, he failed. Somebody shared the gospel with him, gave him a Gideon New Testament. He read the book of John and the Lord saved him and used him so powerfully. You know, I was looking over what different people had to say about Ravi Zacharias. Uh, Tim Tebow gave a great tribute. Uh, John Maxwell, the pastor, Lecrae, the contemporary Christian rap artist. And I also came across uh, these words from press secretary Kaylee McEnany. And it's interesting, she gave a beautiful tribute to Ravi Zacharias. I had no idea of the impact that he had on her life as she works uh, in the White House as the press secretary. She got her law degree from Harvard, went to Oxford and studied. And while she was at Oxford, she said her faith came under a violent attack. I mean, people were attacking her because of her Christian beliefs. And she said it was Ravi Zacharias who came to her aid through his writings, through his teachings, he was able to encourage her and bolster her so that she could defend uh, her faith. Vice President Mike Pence, I thought he gave a tremendous tribute, a eulogy really of the life of Ravi and his influence on him. I went on his Twitter account and this is what Vice President Pence uh, said about Ravi Zacharias on May the 19th. He said, upon the death of Abner, The Bible tells us that David said, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen today? Ravi was such a man and he will be missed. Karen and I send our deepest sympathies to his family and we know that Ravi heard Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries uh, today uh, is a wonderful Christian man and his name is Michael Ramston. And this is what he said. Him and his wife went to visit Ravi just a couple of days before he passed. 
And Ravi Zacharias told Michael these words. He said, keep following Christ and keep preaching the word. Thank you, Lord. Now that's a champion. And today, as I study with you the word of God, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about great champions like Ravi Zacharias. But here's the thing. I want you to enter in to just a time with it's just you and the Lord and say, God, I want to be a champion. Lord, I just don't want to read about great men and women of God. And I, I want to be that person, Lord. So what does it take? I'm going to go ahead and give you just a highlight right now. It's going to take determination. <laughs> it's going to take fortitude. It's going to take faith. And watch this. It's going to take others. It's going to take God bring it in family and friends and the church to encourage you, to bolster you. Watch this, to build you up so that when it comes time for you to die, all you got to do is die, go into the presence of God and hear him say, hey, champion, well done, my good and faithful servant. All right, let's read. I'm excited. I'm excited about Acts chapter nine. I'll be more excited when I get to see you in person on June the 7th. But here we go. So when he had received food, uh, the Bible says he was strengthened, talking about Saul. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, I love this. He caruso, the Greek word proclaim, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed. And they said, is this not he? I mean, wait a minute. Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose. So that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. You just hear the pathos. You hear the concern, right? In their voice. Is this the same guy? Come on now. He used to kill people like us and he's come here. Uh, well, something, something's, what is going on? Well, but Saul increased all the more, it says, in strength. And he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, and we're gonna talk about this in a few moments, but actually that's three years will elapse between verse 22 and 23. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples, look, if you're gonna be a champion for God, you're gonna need help. <laughs> you're gonna need people to pour into you, protect you, help you and, 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 and come alongside of you. Then the disciples took him by night, let him down through the wall in a large basket. <laughs> and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried in perfect tense, meaning he kept on trying to join the disciples, but they, the disciples, were afraid of him. That's also an imperfect tense verb, which means they kept on being afraid of him and they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, mm -mm, come on now. Just about every time you see this guy's name, in fact, they called him the son of encouragement. Every time you see this guy, He's always encouraging somebody. He's selling his property. He's encouraging the early church. He's helping out this man named Saul. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he, Jesus, had spoken to him and how he, Saul, had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them. And at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. 
And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and he disputed against the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jewish people, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren, come on now, do you see a theme here? There's a beautiful a tapestry woven throughout this text that I'm reading to you today. That one of the key ingredients of being all that God wants you to be is the church of the living God. God pulls us together, unites our hearts so that, not that we can beat each other up or tear one another down, but that we can encourage one another and build one another up. But when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. You know, when something's taken away, it makes you appreciate it even more, right? Our, our ability to meet together due to this COVID-19 coronavirus, I mean, it's heartbreaking. As people have become isolated and, and the church, we're unable to meet with one another and congregate and sing praise to God and, and, and in fellowship and encourage each other. I tell you, when you lose something, I tell you, it makes me doubly appreciate, you know, what we had. So that's why I just can't wait. June the 7th, to see as many of you that possibly can to come join us. There are four things I want you to notice with me in our text today that really gives us the attributes or the characteristics, what God does in the making of a champion. Now, I love the words champion or championship. When I hear those words, I think of greatness. I'm not a New England's Patriot fan. However, they're champions. I mean, they've won multiple Super Bowls. You think about champion um, a team, sports arena, every, every sport that you can think of, we always crown who the best, you know, the champion. But think of it like this. They're also champion churches. There are great churches all over this world. There are championship families and there are championship individuals. And that's where I'm coming at you today. Ooh, I wanna come to you and say, come on now. Even as God formed and fashioned and created a champion out of the clay of Saul and made him into this, this golden, amazing man of God, he did it for Ravi Zacharias, he did it for the apostle Paul, he can do it for you, he can do it for me. In fact, in fact, he wants to. God desires the absolute best for you. He wants to fulfill you. He wants you to use he wants to use you in ways that you could never, ever imagine. So how does God do it? Well, the first thing I want you to notice, and it's a reoccurring theme, is the word fellowship. If you look at verse 19, you'll see where it says, he received food. So the apostle, or now he's Saul of Tarsus, he receives food and, and nourishment. He was strengthened, verse 19 says, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Can you imagine? After they got over the, the aftershock of, can you believe it, this guy who used to kill people like us, he's one of us. Come on, wow, this is amazing. And so they see he's real, he's genuine. Look, don't ever underestimate what God can do. God can save a murderer. God can save anybody. No matter what they have done, God can forgive them and God can change them. Just think about, you know, the, the fellowship uh, that Saul must have experienced. You, you'll see it in Damascus. I, I believe it happened also in Arabia during his three-year stint, his seminary days. 
I think about there in Jerusalem, we'll, we'll look at it more in a moment, how the church gathered around him and his faith is galvanized. And then they take him and say, Saul, people are trying to kill you. We got to help you. We got to get you to Caesarea, to the seaport and, and let you sail on off back to Tarsus. And so you see the hand of God, the magnificent hand of God, supernaturally working and orchestrating events, time, people, places. And given this young Christian, Saul, the encouragement that he needs, the fellowship that he needs to be the man that God you know, wants him to be. I just love verse 19. I love the, the whole text that as I read to you just a moment ago, it is uh, another text here. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Back to fellowship. Back to being with the people of God. I really want you to hear my heart on this. I know that some are going to disagree with what I'm about to say, okay? I get it. But I feel so strongly and very passionately that God wants me to communicate this to you with compassion, but speak the truth in love. You simply cannot become a champion for Christ without the people of God. It's impossible. You know, the church, it's God's idea. It's his creation. God designed the church, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, as Christ is the head and we are his body. And God positions us in the church in the ways that please him. You know, Paul talks about the church. He compares the church to the husband-wife relationship. And you can read Ephesians chapter five. It is a, it's a beautiful comparison. And Paul even says, I'm speaking of the mystery of Christ and his church. It's like a husband and a wife and they love each other. And, and let me tell you, if you're married, you know what I'm about to say is the absolute truth. One of the greatest places where God <laughs> sanctifies us is marriage. Hello. I mean, you rub against each other. You get on one another's nerves. I mean, you wear each other out and you're like, in that crucible, in that beautiful creation of God called marriage is where you grow, where you're sanctified. And, and Paul compares that dynamic with the church. Now, I'm not talking about just with your family members. I'm talking about with the church of the living God, people who look different than you, who act different than you, that have more mature in their faith or less mature in their faith. And God am amalgamates us. He pulls us together so that he can create something beautiful. That's just the way God designed it. And I know the church has fallen on hard times and, and, and I know people don't really agree with me at this point. Say, so, well, I can just worship God in my home. I'm okay. I don't need all of you people. I don't particularly like some of the things you're doing. And that's it. Of course you don't. And it's in those moments where God sanctifies us. He burns away our selfishness and he creates this beautiful tapestry, something amazing. And when a new Christian comes in, we're able to nurture them. We're able to build them up. Aren't you glad that the church did that for this guy who ended up writing so much of our New Testament? I'm telling you, there would be no Paul. There would be no all the churches at Rome, the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi, the church at Galatia, so forth and so on. All those letters that he wrote, by the way, to churches, we wouldn't have that had the people of God not gathered around this man, this young, zealous Christian and poured into him. Okay, number two is the word fervency. I kept thinking about this as I read this text, how this man was so fervent 
zealous, ardent, enthusiastic. You get the synonyms, you get the idea. In verse 20, it's just, there he is, he's, he's preaching Christ. What in the world? This is the same man who so hated Christians. Now he's one of us. And the Bible says there that he preaches that Jesus is the son of God. By the way, that's the only time in the entire book of Acts, 28 chapters, that Jesus is referred to as the son of God. And it's being preached by this brand new Christian preacher by the name of Saul. And it's, isn't it not amazing how Saul's perspective of Jesus changes once he meets Jesus? And I've seen this a million times over. Someone can be very antagonistic. They can be even hateful toward followers of Christ and Christ himself. But when they meet him, whoo, man, when they come into a relationship with Christ, it changes everything. Holy Spirit comes within and he creates this fervency. Come on now, this this spirit of eagerness and alacrity saying, oh God, I love you and I want to know you more. Look out, look out. God is creating a champion, you see? He's creating somebody that he's gonna be able to use, a woman of God, that he's gonna be able to use her in ways she never thought possible. A man of God, a student, no matter who you are, when you come to faith in Christ and the people of God build you up and help you, God instills this Holy Spirit passion, enthusiasm within you that empowers you to do amazing, amazing things. Verse 21, the people, they're amazed and they see this man, how he has changed. They're saying, is this the same guy? And I would answer to that question, uh, no and yes. Yes, it's the same guy, Saul, but no, he's totally different because he has met the risen Christ. And now instead of barging into cities and extraditing Christians, persecuting them, arresting them, submitting them to the authorities there in Jerusalem, Paul was good at it. He was very zealous, but now he's been changed. And all that zeal and all that enthusiasm and fervency has now been channeled into serving Christ. Verse 22, Saul kept on in being increased in strength, imperfect, passive, uh, indicative. He continued himself to be strengthened. Uh, next, he kept on confounding the Jews. Another imperfect tense verb in verse 22, meaning continual action and passive. Look, there's no dust settling under his feet, man. He is moving. He is, things are uh, happening with this guy. God's hand is upon him. And what I love this part, proving that Jesus is the Christ in verse 22. Now, that word prove, it is a present active participle. Paul keeps on proving that Jesus is the Christ. The interesting word, it's the Greek word, some bimbazo. Now, I know that's a mouthful of some bimbazo, but here's what it means. It means to knit together or place together. Oh, watch this. Couldn't wait to share this with you. Paul, reading the Old Testament, sees the fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth, concludes and demonstrates with great power that the very Messiah proclaimed in the Old Testament has been embodied and personified in this man, in this God-man, Jesus the Christ. And so Paul proves it. 
and he demonstrates it. And those that believed loved him and accepted Christ. And man, those that didn't, they hated him. Whew, and things haven't changed. Sounds pretty much like our day. But the scene in Paul's life, it just pulsates and it beats with fervency, with passion. And by the way, look, that's the work of God. When he's creating a champion, God instills passion and fervency. And he has great plans for you and for me. When I think about championship Christians, I thought about somebody you may not be as familiar with. And let me introduce him to you. His name was William Ashley Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a phenomenal baseball player in the 19th century. You say, wait a minute, did they have baseball in the 1800s? Well, actually they did. And he was a good one. He played for the Chicago White. You ready for this? Not socks, <laughs> but stockings. I'm really glad they changed their name. The Chicago White Stockings is who he played for. Now, Billy Sunday was not, not a great hitter, but he was a phenomenal a fielder or a defensive player. He played in the outfield before they wore gloves. Can you imagine that? Catching balls without a glove. He was so fast. He would make these acrobatic catches and the people of Chicago loved him. He was really a hero in Chicago. Great baseball player, fastest baseball player in the league. One guy thought he could outrace, outrun Billy Sunday. So they had a race and Sunday beat him by 10 feet. In fact, Billy Sunday could run from home plate to first base, second base, third base, back home. Are you ready for this? In 11 seconds. You say, well, that's not a big deal. Oh, it is a big deal. I tell you, it'd take me 20, 30 seconds to round all the bases. It took him 11 seconds. Great baseball player in 1889. The Chicago White Stockings said, hey, Billy Sunday, want to renew your contract? We're going to give you a whopping $3,000 a year. Hey, you say, that's not a lot of money for a professional athlete. Mm, back then, it was a lot of money. And Billy Sunday was on his way, but something happened. He came across the Pacific Garden Union Mission. He had been drinking a lot with his buddies and he stumbled across this outdoor worship service. He heard the gospel and he was saved. Yeah, professional baseball player said, I know I'm a sinner. I need God's help. He accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you, his life changed. He told the Chicago white stockings, he said, sorry, I'm not gonna play baseball anymore. He began to go out into the slums and the streets and witness to people. He began to just share Christ with everybody that he, that he met. He, he went on to become an evangelist. And Billy Sunday led one million people to Christ. Can you believe that? The former baseball player met the Lord. One million people came forward during his revivals and his crusades and gave their lives to Christ. I'm telling you, if you've read anything about Billy Sunday, you know he was one of the most demonstrative, one of the most excited and zealous preachers ever. I'm talking animated. You know what Abraham Lincoln said about preachers, right? He said, I want my preacher to be as if he were fighting a swarm of bees. In other words, animated, fervent, excited. Man, that's what God does. God takes us where we are. And he shapes us and he, he saves us. He brings people into our lives. And then God begins to instill this passion, this fervency, this fervor that can only be attributed to him. Okay, you ready for two more? 
Yay. Yay. How you doing? I hope you're doing well. God bless you. Maybe you're just tuning in on your Facebook or your YouTube and you're like, who is that? What is, what is going on? Listen, this is Great Hills Baptist Church. My name's Pastor Danny and I'm thrilled that you're listening, that you get to study the word of God with us, with many people, not only in the great city of Austin, but really people all over America and some people in different parts of the world are joining in with you right now. Oh, so ooh, listen, speaking of Austin, CNN and Fox actually agreed on something. Miracle upon miracles, right? CNN and Fox said that the greatest city in America to live in if you're going through a pandemic is, drum roll, Austin, Texas. Whew. Love my city. You, say, well, you just sound Texas proud. I guess I am. Anyhow, we're glad you're in with us. We're talking about making champions, whether it's a championship team, a church, a family, an individual, it takes work, it takes effort, and it takes commitment, and it takes others. And we've looked at some fellowship and some fervency. The next word I want you to look at is friends. It takes friendship. People pouring into us, discipling us, encouraging us to become the people that God wants us to be. Verse 19, Saul met with many new friends of the church at Damascus. Verse 25, another group of close friends literally save his life, right? Remember that, the wall incident? You know, Saul reminds me of a turtle on a fence post. You ever heard that? I mean, you take a turtle, that turtle can't climb. He can't go vertical. He can barely go horizontal slow as he is. But if you see a turtle up on a, let's say a five foot fence post, then you know somebody put him there. Somebody had to lift him up, set him to a place he could never attain. That's what I see with Saul. I do. I see God orchestrating, making a champion, bringing people into his life that would help him to become the man of God that he became. Now, I mentioned earlier, let me share this with you again. After verse 22 and before verse 23, there's a three-year span of time. And we read it as if it's just happening in time, but actually he went to Arabia and the king of Damascus had jurisdiction over, the, over uh, Arabia at the time. He was gone three years. And Paul tells us this in Galatians chapter one. Let me read it to you. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but, okay, he's talking about after the Damascus incident, I went to Arabia. And then I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So between his conversion and him going to Jerusalem, there was a three-year span of Paul going to Arabia. And many people believe it was during that time that he really grew and he studied and really uh, became that, you know, the scholar, if you will. It was during those three years. People come to me all the time. They say, well, I think God's calling me to the ministry. I said, if he's calling you, he's calling you to prepare. And so you got to take some time. Paul did, took three years of seminary, if you will, to prepare himself for what God wanted to do uh, in his life. Okay, so Saul, here he is, has many enemies. I get that, but God has also orchestrated it so that he has many amazing friends. Now, in Damascus, after this three-year hiatus or seminary experience. 
He goes back to Damascus and people are after him. A couple of scholars, John MacArthur, F.F. Bruce said, not only were the people of Damascus mad at him, but he made enemies in Arabia and they're mad at him and they're trying to kill him. And they post spies at the entrance exits of the city of Damascus. Only way in, only way out, unless you know somebody. Listen, Saul's got friends in high places, literally high places on the wall in the city of Damascus. They have a window and somehow they get together. They put him in a basket. They lower him down. Come on now. That's kind of funny. I mean, I'm looking at it going, wow, that's kind of, it's a grown man in a basket running for his life and he makes it out alive. And now he heads toward Jerusalem. And in verse 26, you see in Jerusalem, he tried to get in with the church, but they were so afraid of him. They wouldn't let him in the fellowship. And you know, I thought this was interesting. You know, when God really makes a great man or woman of faith, God does not lead us away from trials. He leads us into trials. You know, Paul's at an impasse here. He's like, guys, it's me. I mean, I've, I've been changed and I really want to help this church and I, and I really want to serve God. And, and yet the people are like, oh, we don't really trust you. you know? And so Paul, what would Paul do? Would he just say, well, forget you. I'm just going to start my own church or forget you crazy people. No, he was patient and he just, he hung in there and watch what God does. I love, love, love verse 27, this conjunction, but however, Barnabas, mm, mm-mm. You know, I have found if we just be patient, if we don't try to get ahead of God or behind God, don't get mad, don't take our church membership card and storm out the door. If we'll just hang in there, God will send some people. He will send some Barnabases. He will send some people that will assist you, encourage you, help you get over the hard spot in your life. You remember Barnabas, Acts chapter 4, 36 and 37? He's actually called the son of encouragement. What if that's how you were remembered? Oh, Barnabas, yeah, that's the guy that always encouraged him. Oh, Barnabas, yeah, he's the person that sold a lot of his land and gave it to the church. Oh, Barnabas, oh yeah, he was the guy that really helped uh, Saul out when nobody really trusted. Yeah, that's the guy, Barnabas. If you're going to be great for God, you're gonna have to have some help. Let people help you. Let the fellowship of the church help you. Let God instill within you this fervency, this passion, and let him, let him bring friends in your life, people that can hold you accountable, people that you can love as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The last thing I wanna share with you in the making of a champion is this cool word, fearlessness. Ah, that's it. Man, when God's hand is on somebody, they fear no one but God. And that's what I see in this man, Paul. Verse 27, Barnabas tells the church how Saul had seen Christ, changed, transformed. Now he's preaching for Christ. In verse 28, the Bible says Saul was with the church uh, in Jerusalem, okay? And he's coming in and he's going out. Now watch this. Ooh, I like this quote. Little simple, short quote from F.F. Bruce who said, Paul moved about freely, and fearlessly in and out of the houses in the city. And that word captured me in my study is that I'm looking at this text, the word fearless just jumped off of the page. And I thought, you know, that's right. Paul had that, he wasn't trepid or or fearful or what? No, 
he had this zeal and he had this trust in God and he had the church surrounding him and he was absolutely fearless. In verse 29, you see it? Saul spoke boldly for Christ. You don't speak boldly for Christ if you're fearful, if you're worried about what other people are gonna say, if you're worried about whether you're gonna live or die. No, you, you, you will back down. You will, you will cower to the, to the pressure, but he was fearless. Praise God. Look, when God's making a champion, he puts in that man of God. He puts in that woman of God. I'm telling you a sense of, I fear nobody but God. The fear of man, Proverbs says, brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Verse 30, more friends come and, and they rescue this guy. They're like, dude, you need some help. You're gonna keep preaching. You're gonna get killed. So hurt. listen to us, listen to us, Paul. We think, we think you need to go on a cruise, okay? We think you need to get out and, and go get refreshed a little bit. Go, and so they took him to Caesarea Philippi. We've been there. Uh, many of you went with us on our, on our trip, or not Philippi, well, we went there too, but Caesarea by the sea, beautiful coastal town. And that's where they put Paul on a boat and he sailed over to Cilicia or to Tarsus. In fact, Galatians 1.21 says, and afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. The primary city of Cilicia was Tarsus. Does that sound familiar? Yep, that's where Paul was from. Tarsus was known as a place where you could get the finest first-rate education. And one writer says this, you cannot exaggerate the influence which the educational system of Tarsus exercised on its most illustrious son. Yes, this guy, Paul. I love Paul. I tell you, he's the second person I want to meet in heaven. Of course, Jesus. And then if God would just give me some time, I'd love to just talk to this guy and just hear his heart and just hear the stories. A champion. As I said earlier, I sincerely mean this, that I think God wants multiple Pauls. God wants many Lottie Moons and Billy Grahams and Amy Carmichaels. God wants many men and women to be champions. And look, your championship, it may not look like somebody else's. Your championship, your sphere of influence may be your home and where you live and where you work. But I really believe that it's God's desire to change you, fill you with His Spirit, surround you with the church that loves you, put within you this fearlessness, this fervency. You know, when I was first studying this text, I kept thinking about this song and I, I don't plan on singing it, but I do plan on just telling you the lyrics of this song. And it's written by Rufus McDaniel. How about that for a name, Rufus? <laughs> World War One. Rufus McDaniel, 1914, tragic, tragic day for him in his life. His son dies. And then the next year in 1915, right there at the, at the outbreak of World War I from 14 to 18, Rufus McDaniel ends up writing a hundred songs. Many of them are sung at the Billy Sunday Crusades. Remember him? We talked about him a moment ago. But there's only one song that's still sung or still remembered <clears throat> that Rufus McDaniel wrote in 1915. And it's this song. 
Here we go. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have lied in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from wondering and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. And my sins, which were many, are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy over my soul like the sea billows roll. I think Paul would say that since Jesus came into my heart. Man, that's the beginning. Ma'am, that's the beginning. After you receive Christ, Christ starts working. And the more you yield to him, humble yourself before him, allow yourself to be taught and, and have fellowship, koinonia, with the body of Christ, the church. Allow the Lord to bring friends into your life and allow him to put this fervency, this fearlessness within you. Mm, 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 look out. He is making a champion, a champion. Do you know Christ? Has there ever been a time in your life when you began the walk with God? If not, do it now. There is no better time than right now. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Today is the day of salvation. You can just pray something like this. Say, dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need your forgiveness. So I pray that you forgive me. Come into my life. I repent, I believe, Jesus, save my soul. Amen. Amen. Hey, welcome to the family of God. If you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it with all of your heart, I would love to hear from you. You can contact us at Great Hills Baptist Church. Just send an email to info at GHBC. You say, what if I want to call you? Well, there's nobody here working. We're we're coming back eventually. But look, if you send an email to us, info at GHBC, how about this? You just go in the description box in your Facebook or in your YouTube, and you just say, I've asked Jesus into my heart. Boom, we're coming. Somebody, one of our pastors is going to not physically reach out to you, drive to your house, but they're going to contact you electronically and we want to help you. We want to walk with you to encourage you in your walk with God. Great Hills Baptist Church, mm, can't wait to June the 7th. We're going to have a wonderful day in the Lord, worshiping Him, preaching His Word, fellowshipping at six feet apart. How in the world does that look like? I don't care. It's going to be great. We're going to be together. I look forward to it. God bless you now. Enjoy some more praise and worship and we'll see you next time.